All right, sorry. The ironic thing is that I'm a lifelong musician and studio producer and technique. I know everything there is to know about recording, except how to push re record. That's the one thing they don't teach you. <laughs> so uh, just by way of introduction, this, and just to give you a, kind of an overview uh, what we'll be doing this morning, I'm just going to do an overview this morning uh, and kind of introduce uh, some concepts uh, about uh, early Christian art, and then we'll dive into some more specific stuff uh, next week, maybe. Uh, but just, my name is Brad Chrysler. And I told my daughter this morning on the way, I, I, I haven't taught a class in several years, and I, I, uh, my uh, brother-in-law is Eric Livingston, who's in charge of kind of the minister here who gets teachers, and he, he stayed after me so long, so I far, finally agreed to do it. Uh, at, A, because I told, I, I told my daughter this morning, I'm, I'm getting more and more like my father, uh, which I'm getting more inarticulate the older I get. <laughs> and my dad sometimes will be talking to him, and he'll stop mid-sentence in thought, and then said, what were you saying? <laughs> it's like, well, you were taught you were saying something, and I can see those tendencies in my own uh, you know, psychological well-being now. So I told her I need to say yes to be able to talk with and in front of people to stay sharp because I, I can feel those things coming on but I, I also and, and so when he asked me to teach a class anything you want I picked this topic uh, and then like I find myself in many settings uh, like I, I'm completely and uniquely unqualified to teach a <laughs> class like this and that's true I, I uh, this word used to have more uh, gravitas, but now it's a derogatory term, but de uh, dilettante is what I've been called, or been, not a, there's a difference between Renaissance man, who, you know, who's a master at lots of different things, and a dilettante that dabbles in lots of different things. I am definitely a dilettante. Uh, I dabble in a lot of different things. The problem is, though, I have these uh, because I'm a five Enneagram, I attack a subject that I'm really interested in, learn a whole lot about very specific slivers of that, leaving these huge gaps all around it <laughs> so that I can get into a conversation and you will see and find over the course of this uh, class that I will get into these conversations that are very specific, that seem like I have a very deep knowledge of everything and then somebody will say, yeah, but when was the Reformation? And I was like, well, wasn't that in World War II? You know, like <laughs> these huge gaps in basic, or, or, you know, Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. You know, and, and uh, it's, it's always embarrassing to me, but it's true. It's just how I operate. I know a, I know a whole lot about some specific things. Uh, and then I have these huge gaps. And I'm not a scholar. I don't have a degree in art history. I don't have a degree in history. Uh, I, I'm a musician. I, I, I write. I've written songs and produced music uh, my entire adult life. It's the only job I've ever had until recently. I also buy and sell uh, 18th and early 19th century American art uh, as a, which is much more lucrative than the music business these <laughs> days. But, uh, but I do have these uh, interests that I just kind of attack, and I've been. Uh, uh, fortunate enough to, to uh, 
to be able to experience uh, especially things in uh, having to do with archaeology and um, and ancient art uh, I've like most people I think my interest <laughs> in uh, specifically ecclesiastical art beyond my own faith began with this movie in 1982 uh, everybody who saw this movie that uh, in 1982 when I was 12 years old we immediately all wanted to be archaeologists right and those of us who were believers wanted to be archaeologists uh, archaeologist for the Lord, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to be a policeman for the Lord. Right? Going to be a bank robber for the Lord. Uh, now, this this movie did capture my imagination in a lot of different ways, and I've always wanted to be a, a find a treasure hunter. I've always been a treasure hunter. Uh, me and my cousins, when we were you know eight and nine years old, used to you know walk through the uh, cotton fields looking for clues we call them artifacts and I remember chopping cotton which is something I'm who else has chopped cotton in this which means it's a hoe and you're chopping weeds you're not chopping cotton in a line of people in the middle of a field and hot Alabama clay that's I did that once starting when I was about nine years old uh, through the time I was 16 in our lunch break, we'd just sit in the field and eat a plate lunch. You know, they, the boss would bring out a lunch and we'd eat it in the field. And I remember just playing in the red clay dirt and suddenly just having uh, an 1846 dime show up in my hand. I just dug it up by just playing in the dirt. And this beautiful silver coin comes out in my hand. I just thought, this is the best thing in the world. And kind of since then, I've always felt like this uh, treasure hunting thing. That's taken me in a lot of different uh, great contexts. Uh, that uh, I started metal detecting in 2007, uh, and while I was in England um, in 2008, fall 2008, I was in a, on a riding trip in London. I took a couple of weeks to go to Colchester. I'm part of a club. Um, of all Americans that have the rights to hunt uh, all this great agricultural land in and around uh, the original Roman capital of, of Britain, which is in Colchester by the sea, and found some great, amazing things, some of which I'll share with you guys, you know, uh, as we go along. Uh, but in 2008, in fall, I found this little guy. Um, so 14th century, uh, solid gold carved John the Baptist. Uh, and the great thing about this really lit me on fire about ecclesiastical art because it was like, uh, man, this stuff's easy to find. Uh, which, oddly enough, is true in Britain. I mean, because the church, uh, you know, sim uh, symbology and artifacts and you know just everyday clothing, you know, articles. Were, were religious. A lot of them had Christian motifs, symbols, and um, creeds, and things like that. So, uh, you know, a th full third of what you find when you're metal detecting, you know, in and around a place like Colchester is ecclesiastical. You know, there's some religious uh, or church, you know, tied to a lot of it. But yeah, this guy was, uh, I mean, let's be honest, if I never find anything else, this qualifies me as Indiana Jones. Can we just, if I showed up in a leather jacket and a fedora this morning, 
you would forgive me because of this, right? So, so how did you identify that, and what did you think? Well, I, you yeah, I'll tell it? you the, I mean, not to, okay, we can make this whole class about my fines, if that's all right. <laughs> Which has an indirect tie to God somehow. Uh, no, I, yeah, so, but I, I will say that this, um, that the place where I found this was, uh, was near the supposed location of Wicks Abbey, which was an abbey uh, there in this little uh, hamlet from, I, I think, 1124 or something until the dissolution when Henry had Woolsey burn everything down, tear it all down. Uh, and this area where we were hunting was a small field that was adjacent to where the abbey supposedly was. We hadn't been able to get on that field uh, until the, that week I was there. We finally negotiated a deal with the farmer where we, we pay him you know, per day for us to be able to hunt there. So it's a little field. We thought this is going to be great. No one's ever hunted this field, which is crazy, you know. So it's a small field, though, and uh, it was horrible. Like, we, when you're metal detect for three, four hours and just found a bunch of musket balls, you know, like uh, Napoleon era, era, and it was like there's nothing in this field. So I was actually walking off the field to go to adjacent field, which was really uh, good. And I found uh, a hammered, medieval hammered silver penny, which is a good find. Uh, anytime you find a medieval coin, you know, a long cross with, uh, you know, I don't, John or somebody, Edward III or somebody like that. And I thought, well, I'll give it, you know, another 30 minutes or so. And then I walked back to the corner of this field and got this signal. It was just... It was a head, you know, this loud signal. I thought, well, it's probably an aluminum can, yeah. <laughs> and I took one scoop of dirt, and it was laying there. And, I mean, of course, gold comes out of the ground how it went in. Wow. It doesn't tarnish, you know. So that's how it looked. In fact, that is right after it was dug. It wasn't cleaned up or anything like that, uh, which is a, an addict. That's why people have killed and died over gold <laughs> over the centuries. It, it's a mesmerizing thing. But... Um, when I dug it and looked at it, I, I, it was so detailed. Typically, you don't find medieval uh, art, carved art, that detailed. So I thought it was modern, which meaning Georgian, you know, uh, late 18th century, early 19th century or something. But then I saw the Lombardic Latin. I, had, I didn't need glasses in 2008. So <laughs> I saw Lombardic Latin scroll on the scroll, and I knew it was medieval because it was just... Uh, the style of the lettering uh, with the kind of Lombardic, um, I, I just, I knew it was medieval. I didn't know it was John the Baptist. I, I should have known that if I could have read the Latin, because it's Latin for Behold the Lamb of God, uh, mm -hmm. abbreviated. And of course, he's pointing to this platter that probably once held a lamb. Uh, the thing that threw me is that John the Baptist is typically not depicted in prophet's robes. Uh, he usually has his camel skin, you know, on uh, with his staff. So I thought it might have been a prophet, but um, I didn't know it was John the Baptist. So uh, anyway, it was a great thrill. That is now in the British Museum, uh, which I'm proud to say they, that they, uh, what they do when you find an artifact of this significance, they basically, the queen takes possession of it. They give you a receipt, <laughs> it's kind of an IOU, and they say, uh, but it's really fair. They, they basically put it in a table around uh, 
a group of guys from Sotheby's and Christie's and independent mm-hmm. dealers, and they say if you had this, um, if you had this at auction, what would it bring? And so they, out of that room, determine the, the kind of retail value of it. And by law, the crown has to pay you that retail value, or they have to give it back to you. Uh, and so what they do is first thing the cor- the coroner, who's the guy who certifies all this, sends it. Uh, sends out an email and says, hey, anybody want this? And the British Museum said, yeah, we'll take it. Apparently, solid gold carved John the Baptist aren't an everyday occurrence. Um, and so they determined the value, and they they paid me. It was awesome. That was back when the pound was two to one. <laughs> 2008. It's only a buck thirty now since Brexit. Like, boo, Brexit for uh, <laughs> Unless you're having to pay to go over there, right? Uh, but yeah, I was proud to, to uh, be able to get that. And uh, something else I was going to say. Um, will they attach your name to that? Uh, yes. It yes. It, it, yeah, it's, it will always be attached. Um, I think they put the piece on the. On yeah, yeah that's right. well, I mean, I put my name on it when I stick a little pen knife and BC on the back of it. Uh, now it's it's the now now that the Colchester Museum, which is a fabulous museum uh, that's housed in the oldest Norman keep in Britain, it's in Colchester. If you ever go, British Museum has this piece on loan. I think since they've opened the new renovated museum because it came from that area. They couldn't afford to raise the money to to buy it. But it does have the distinction, we'll move away from this, this is not, <laughs> it's very vain, it's like, look what I found. <laughs> but look what I found. Uh, the, it does have the distinction of being the single most valuable artifact found in 2008 in Britain. Now, that's excluding corn. Uh, corn. Uh, <laughs> corn's very valuable. Now, uh, coin hoards, which are when you find that's not that that's not considered an artifact. It's a, in other words, somebody found a pot of silver coins in 2008 that brought more mm. money. But in terms of single artifacts, this was so that I mean I was already interested in ecclesiastical and um, type artifacts, but I really dove in after that and spent, what I did is kept all that money in pounds and started going back to England, just feeding the addiction, right? Um, Brad, that's, that's tiny, right? It, it is, yeah, you can see yeah. the, yeah, it's about. Was it worn? You think it was a, a uh, No, that's a great question. It has a loop on the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of went back and forth, with, which is, again, the audaciousness of the head medieval curator at the British Museum. It's like, so this was probably enameled, and it was probably attached to a reliquary. And it's like, what are you talking about? It's in the round. You know, in other words, it doesn't have a flat back. It's, it's finished to be seen in the round. And it has a loop on it. And I, I've studied medieval, uh, again, more than the <laughs> British Museum. <laughs> but medieval, it's ridiculous. No business. Uh, and for those of you guys who are in here, these are fives for you. Five goes to eight in confidence. And eight is the boss. Like, nobody knows more than me. But, but the eight's just like that naturally. The five says, nobody knows more than me because I've studied it more than all of you guys. But, uh, no, it, it, I, I mean, I know, I've studied a lot of medieval reliquaries, enameled uh, Limoges 
uh, reliquaries, and they don't have gold apostles attached to them. It's just that would be worth more than the entire piece of art. And um, but having said that, I have no clue. Uh, obviously, it was probably lost during the dissolution. The other possibility is that because we found so much great stuff, especially like full groats, which are the most you know, and even half nobles, quarter nobles, which are the the most valuable silver and gold hammered medieval coins that uh, people carried uh, and, and we found a lot of them in the field adjacent and kind of to that area and it's because it was kind of as people came to church they brought their uh, they brought their you know contribution uh, and then you had we found uh, papal bullas lead bullas which were the seal of the pope that went to a, a bull to a mm -hmm. proclamation from the pope we found those in that field so you had a lot of wealthy people traveling to that abbey or to church there um a, a lot of you know priests and people that were going back and forth so it may have been dropped from a person it may have been made from for uh, a person of wealth um uh, and, and dropped at some point but more than likely it was a part of the church holdings that was scattered and lost when the abbey was burned down in 14 whatever uh, so anyway you have to go down very deep to get it no ma'am it was because these fields are cultivated uh and deep cultivated because of potatoes you know they go mm -hmm. way deep deep plow for potatoes uh it turns stuff up i, I found uh 1700 bc bronze axe heads on top of the ground in the adjacent field and then you find georgian or even world war ii flak from artillery a foot and a half down so that nothing's in situ nothing's in context because of the deep plowing in most of these that's what makes it great too because they deep plow potatoes every year it's like a new field every year you know you know there's no telling what will come up and occasionally, which has happened on some of my hunts before, they will dig down and up will come uh, a buried hoard. So we find 34 Celtic gold, you know, 34 AD, you know, Celtic gold coins all over the place, you know, that were, and of course, that those, yeah, I, I don't want to get away with this, but like single coins you keep, if you find a coin in context with other coins of the same type it's a hoard and they that's considered treasure so they have the right to keep that or the right to purchase that so uh, it's all very fascinating <laughs> but i from then kind of moved into medieval art art illuminated manuscripts which i also love i love uh this art form which was very popular from you know, especially in europe from you know 1100 you know, up through the late Renaissance. Um, and so I really got into kind of collecting these. Uh, not, they're, they're also very expensive and hard to come by. Uh, so most of mine didn't look like this, you know, uh, but love the, just the process of, uh, these are all of course hand copied and hand painted and the process of educating and illuminating um, Christian minds um, outside of the priesthood, you know, people who had books of hours and breweries and things like that. Mostly only wealthy people could afford these things, but I love handling all of that stuff. Here's a pile of stuff I just photographed 
for this morning, um, most of which I found, some of which I bought from my buddies who found. Um, and this, you can see all this, these IHS, IHC, uh, which is what I have on my arm here. If you see the first three letters of Jesus' name in Greek or Latinized Greek. Um, so some of this stuff is very old. There's a, uh, this is a, we'll talk about all of this later on. This is a finger ring with a pentagram, which the Satanists kind of took over for a while. But it early on, it was a Christian symbol. It represented the five wings of Christ. And and on the side there are fish, you know, which we know, of course, are Christian symbol. There's a reliquary cross with the orange position hand. Uh, this is a Byzantine seal uh, that basically in Greek says, God help John, which is the holder of the seal. There's a John the Baptist uh, pendant that came from the Thames River, that, a buddy of mine that's a mud lark who's guys that just walk on the shore and eyeball stuff because you can't metal detect on the Thames you know but these guys are really good eyes and so when the tide comes out they go and just eyeball stuff he found that and that's what everything that comes out of the Thames looks like because uh, there's so little oxygen it's such a muddy oxygen uh, deprived river that things don't really uh, erode, they kind of pit out. Under the microscope, you can tell that this came out of a river, but it still has its, you know, brass or copper alloy look. But um, the great thing about the Thames is that they find shoes, leather shoes from the Roman period with bones in them. Because uh, people would throw everything in the Thames, you know. The plague, let's throw them in the Thames, you know. Enemy, kill him, throw him in the Thames. You know, <laughs> got some trash, throw it in the Thames, which has become an archaeological uh, gold mine for for us. And the great thing is that it, it survives very well. Uh, anyway, there's just some things I, I got into all kinds of uh, stuff like that, and then more recently got into kind of paintings. This is a painting I bought recently. I have no idea. I, I was going to ask y'all what it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, can you hit, hit that light behind you back there? Maybe that will turn out these lights. No, does, that yeah. does that bother y'all? That's no, good. That, uh, is this Jesus and the leper, right? Maybe? Or, or uh, uh, the para uh, paralytic man. But I don't understand much about this painting. There's a woman in very dark shadows here. Uh, and um, putis or angels in the corner. Is this a Bible story that I'm just missing from my knowledge? <laughs> I'm not really sure about I just like the painting. It's probably uh, mid to late 18th century in a 19th century frame on canvas, and it looks Spanish to me. You art people know. <laughs> yeah. It's not the man let down Don't, through the roof, because that's a Right, that's right. I've had several people... That came into my office said, is, "Is it the man through the roof?" And I don't think so. And I don't. Uh, it it looks like a bed. Sometimes you see, especially in early medieval art, Lazarus is in a medieval tomb, so he's laying kind of in a raised uh, tomb that looks similar to that. But he's obviously propped up and sick, and Jesus is healing him. He's <coughs> John. Yeah. 
the uh, widow's son died. It doesn't say how old the son was. That could be. Another. Maybe, yeah. That was outside, wasn't yeah. it? The story. Well, I don't know. He, they were carrying him on a litter, and I think Jesus stopped the litter. Artistic license. Yeah. <laughs> Which we'll learn a lot about as we come out. Uh, what makes you assume that it's Jesus? Uh, yeah, he does have a bit of a halo, so he's either a saint or Jesus, and kind of the context, um, the context says that, I mean, that's a great, that's a very scholarly question of your day, <laughs> the skeptic, the stoic, classical skeptic, could be Regis Field, could be, don't know, not, it's unsigned, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't I don't deal really much in uh, uh, paintings, like later paintings. I, I, most of the, are, and then we'll we'll see in the second. I also love carved ivory. This is a piece I bought recently, um, and of course it's uh, late 18th, early 19th century, um, but it's a beautiful piece done in the. Um, uh, it's. French, probably the French were really good at ivory carving. But I I just love this stuff. And then oddly enough, uh, Friday I got this and I bought this. <laughs> I don't I don't buy a lot of Christian stuff anymore, uh, and I don't I haven't touched a metal detector in nearly two years because I just it's that time of life, you know, where I don't have a lot of free time. But uh, I did see that because I buy a lot of portrait miniatures. Uh, from the 18th century, this was listed at one as Italian school 19th century, and it was framed in a, like a more modern frame. And I, I bought it because I, or I bid on it and bought it because I knew that that's not what it was, uh, and got it in and confirmed. It's uh, this is a 14th century part of a 14th century book of hours illuminated manuscript, probably French, but possibly Italian because there's no gold on it. Like there. The French would coat their Book of Hours pages with a lot of gold. And under the microscope, there's gold flakes all over it, but it probably came from the border. There's not any surviving gold in that. So it may be Italian, but uh, Book of Hours was a devotional book that was very popular uh, during the, uh, like I said, mid, mid medieval period up through the Renaissance. And th they would paint, there would be, you know, mostly it was, uh, the hours, you know, there, there'd be scriptures that were in Latin that would read. There was just a lot of script, but then every few pages you would have a miniature of a scene, you know, of a, a significant scene. Uh, there'd be a liturgical order to it, you know, at certain points in the book or certain parts of the liturgy, there would be a miniature that would be appropriate to that or symbolic to that uh, scripture or that hour uh, of the cross or of the liturgy uh anyway it was this again it was labeled as 19th century italian school school saint jerome <laughs> it's uh obviously luke because the ox is the symbol of the evangelist luke the ox uh, the ox the the uh the scroll and the pen and the quill um this gouache on vellum on sheepskin vellum and it's been attached to a card but people used to <coughs> in the 19th century when these were not worth very much money you know they would tear apart the books of hours which were you know extraordinarily expensive to have produced in the you know 
medieval and renaissance period and they're all hand done you know a lot of times by monks uh, and they would have the script and these things and people would like unbind them cut the sheets up you know sell off the sheets or throw the the script sheets away and then cut the miniatures out of a page you know that would have an initial or it'd have a border and it's like eh, or there'd be damage on that part they just cut the miniature out and have a picture and you know sell it or keep it uh, and ruin a perfectly good what's crazy is this if it, if the page were intact it would be you know eight to ten thousand dollar piece you know but as it is it's a I don't know thousand dollars or something like that I paid seventy dollars for it. Wow. If anybody's interested, <laughs> yeah, Vicky's offered seventy-five. What I hear, you all are printing with people. Y'all got money now. I need a bigger customer base. I, I, that was neat. I haven't bought anything like that in a while, but I knew that it was a illuminated manuscript. You can see the town and the city sitting in the window. Uh, I'd love to have seen what the rest of the picture is like, although that's a good framing in itself, whoever cut it <coughs> framed it well, but that's our old St. Luke with the ox. Does anybody know? Anybody in my Facebook followers would know this, but why the ox is Luke's symbol? All the evangelists have their animal or their symbol, right? Does anybody know why the ox is? Yeah, the winged ox. What's that? What, the winged ox? The what? Winged ox. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, so, that's right. Sometimes, some, yeah, sometimes the sometimes the ox is winged, especially earlier. This is a later, again, 14th century, maybe 15th century piece, but yeah, Paul knows. By the way, this is Paul Ellis on the end with a great uh, Civil War era beard. <laughs> he will also be teaching, um, kind of moving in and out. Uh, and correcting my black big gaps of scholarship. But yeah, so the the Gospel of Luke, which has the most sacrificial or atonement theology in it, the ox as an instrument or an animal of sacrifice is a lot of times um, assigned to St. Luke and the Gospel of Luke. And also, as a reminder to Christians of the sacrifice that's required of discipleship of Christ. Other than that, it's just a random assignment. Paul, do you have any insight on the... What's the significance of the winged ox? I don't know that. That's why I was hoping you would... Yeah. <laughs> the part. Again, look, man, you're the teacher. I'm just the facilitator. Those are different words. <laughs> yeah, so uh, those are just some things. Uh, sir, before we kind of dive, dive into some reasons why I chose this topic to do a class. By the way... Two minute warning. Two minutes? Yeah. That's insane. Why go? Let's just not go to the sermon. That's insane. All right, I have to keep that. That's the other thing. Kind of get remembering the rhythm of these classes. Forty-five minutes seems like a long time, but when you ramble as much, and I promise I won't have show and tell to this extent. Obviously, I'm going to have illustrations. It's a class about art and artifacts. And I will bring some stuff to pass around, but I don't want, I mean, obviously, it's a bit indulgent to spend that much time talking about John the Baptist, but I just figured, let's get it out of the way. <laughs> I, you know, I am Indiana Jones. <laughs> the Brentwood Indiana Jones, yeah. The ox is winged to remind people that Jesus is supposed to travel 
the, the news of Jesus is supposed to travel right on, which would be appropriate for an evangelist, right? That's great. Thanks, Brian. Is this something just in your database, or you Googled it? There you go. <laughs> great. Remember the classes you could teach, and like you could just say stuff, and nobody would know. It's like obviously this is third century, you know. And then people Google the image and say this is fifth century, you know, like. It's just Google has killed the ability to song and dance people, you know. It's like, I don't know. Um, anyway, I apologize for... Uh, but we've got a long... I mean, again, the, I will say this. The scope uh, and breadth of early Christian art is small. Uh, we don't have anything that can really be called specific Christian art before the year 200. Uh, and then, you, then you've got kind of pre-Constantine uh, art, late Roman art, and then you have you know post-Constantine up to about 1600. So that and that gets you know pretty broad. But the art that we have that we can assign specifically to Christian uh, is scarce, really mm -hmm. early art, and there's lots of great <laughs> reasons for that. You know, and which have a lot of great theological implications for us. You know, the fact that you know, why is there no Jewish art? Why is there no great body of Jewish art that we can reference, it's right? by the Ten Commandments. That's right, Second Commandment. Not the Second Amendment, the Second Commandment. They considered images at any picture. Graven images. Right, that's right. But their declarations did not include the likeness of any. That's right. They, they, and the Christians, early Christians, of course, were still Jews, right? They were still trying to figure out what is, what, what are we being good Jews, bad Jews? Are we doing the Jewish thing or not? Up until 200. Uh oh. Uh, and so, yeah, so we have a lot of Christians being good Jews, you know, at that point. The second reason is that, you know, most, most, both Jews and early Christians considered uh, art to be in the purview of the pagans, right? Pagans were all over some art. You know, you find great uh, Roman uh, Roman art having to do with that has pagan religious uh, symbolism. The great thing about early Christian art is that sometimes you don't know where what pagan art starts and Christian art begins because as happens a lot of time in Christian culture, uh, Christians co-opted symbols like the good shepherd and like the fisherman or the philosopher uh, there are a lot of early um, Christian art uh, that uh, basically is co-opting pagan uh, symbols or, or cultural symbols that have even no uh, religious significance uh, and and it's hard for historians to figure out or is this Christian art or is it pagan or is it just the cultural decoration or pagan art and so the process of figuring that out is a, a thing we'll get into a little bit. And also, and it's usually about where it's found in context to something else. You know, the good shepherd, you know, with an anchor and two fish in the same sarcophagus is a Christian piece of art. The good shepherd with no fish and anchor is a pagan, you know, or, or irreligious, uh, you know, piece of uh, decoration. So it's usually what is... Juxtaposition is very important for early, early Christian art. And I showed earlier the picture of the pentagram. 
you know, that's just a pentagram. That's an evil eye or a, a pagan ring. If it didn't have two fish on the bezel of the, you know, the arm, then it's, you know, the five. And that's an early, uh, that comes from Bulgaria. Uh, early, same thing with a peacock is a peacock, you know, on the bezel of a ring, unless there's a, you know, Cairo on the arms of the, you know, or if there's a something, that's some other symbol or a fish or a, you know, some inscription. So juxtaposition becomes very important in terms of symbols of early Christian art. But what I was saying, we got 13 weeks. Yes. It's a long time for a little bitty piece of art. That's why probably our study is going to take us through, uh, you know, Anglo-Saxon religious art, Celtic art, uh, all the way up to medieval art if we, if we get there. And then we can go further if we want. But mainly I want to make sure that, and the reason we do this uh, is because there is a disconnect a lot of times about the practice of early Christians. What did they believe and how did that play out in their lives? Uh, sometimes We can tell more about that sometimes by art than we can from text um, because art represents popular religion. A lot of times text represents official theology. There's a disconnect there. And I think anything we can do uh, to kind of recover the practice, what people, early Christians, actually believed and lived in their lives has a lot to do with what we assume they do. We assume a lot about the first century and early Christians that just ain't true sometimes. And I think anytime we can do that, we recover it, it's good. St. Augustine himself says, all that is past that we can learn helps us understand the scriptures. I think that's true. I think that's a good enough reason to do a class like this. So, anyway, sorry for the ramble. We'll start in earnest next week. And thank y'all for coming. Probably be lesson.